Well, it's certainly a privilege to join together and worship and uh, excited about the picnic afterwards. Um, uh, I'll say a word uh, in a bit, just a little bit about our opportunity to be away for Karen and uh, me as we travel to, to Oklahoma. Um, brings up the topic of travel. Um, and thinking about traveling well. So here's the time in the service when I would like some input from people. Um, this is not too hard. What makes us bad drivers? <laughs> What is it that makes us bad on the road? What are some thoughts? Distracted. Distracted. Impatience. Other drivers. What was that? Other drivers. Other drivers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What was that? Tired. Tired. Yeah. Disregard for the law. Disregard for the law. Just not planning. Not planning, yeah. No shoulders. We found some mountain roads and they were kind of <laughs> dropping off. I'm not sure it made us bad drivers. It made us nervous drivers. Just what? Not understanding the rules. Sure. Not understanding the rules of the road. Yeah. Years ago, I remember uh, when back when we had the Detroit Grand Prix, maybe it'll happen again. Um, I remember hearing one of the drivers, Grand Prix race drivers, uh, being interviewed. And they said, what can the average person learn from you? What, what should we know about driving from a Grand Prix driver, race driver? He said, there are two things that we do that make us bad drivers. First of all, as you said, we don't pay enough attention to driving. We pay attention to our phone or to the other people or to other things that are in our minds. We don't pay enough attention. And then when something happens, we overreact. <laughs> So we're kind of drifting, we're tired, we're not paying attention, and then it's like, oh no, and we crank the wheel around, we slam on the brakes, we get upset with somebody, we overreact. This made me think. What makes us bad travelers in life? Well, maybe we don't pay enough attention to living. And then when something happens, we overreact. And I wonder how true that might be of us. We want to think about navigating life, living life today. And uh, I want to start by taking a minute to pray, to ask God to help us learn to navigate life better, especially in challenging days. And these are very challenging days, both personally and in the country, uh, the United States, and around the world. Um, and so we need to know how do we navigate well. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, you don't get distracted and you don't overreact. Um, sometimes we feel like you're not paying attention, but, but maybe, maybe we're the ones who aren't. And so we ask that you teach us. I, I ask that you are attention and that you would cause us to react well. We thank you, Jesus, for your powerful, wonderful words. Holy Spirit, for your work to open our hearts to, to bring a, a, a conviction, a, a confidence in the truth of what Jesus has said. So we pray that you do that work today. We do. Thank you. And anticipate your work. It's not just some time that goes by with words spoken. It's a time when we get to be with the living God. And so we listen now. Open our hearts. Speak loudly enough. Give us ears to hear that you'd be praised. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, the title today is Watch and Pray, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about analog clocks in a little bit. So I'm 
four words that people do. Uh, make sure I get some help later. We're in Luke 21. Uh, as we continue our journey through Luke, uh, this is a passage from, uh, we'll be looking at verses 5 through 38. I encourage you to have that open in front of you, but I'll also have it on the screen. Uh, Luke 21. Um, let me just say a few words to, to set the scene. Um, we've been watching as Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem. And as he went to Jerusalem, as he as we, on his way, he predicted that he would be arrested and killed. So, so when I get there, he said, they're going to arrest me, they're going to turn, the, the Jewish people will turn me over to the Gentile authorities, and I'll be killed, and I'll come to life again. And so then when he got there, he entered Jerusalem, and he showed that he had authority over God's temple and God's people. Clearly, in a way, that ensured that he would get arrested, and they would be very upset, because he says, I'm the one who has authority here, not you. So, he said he was going to get arrested, and he was going to get killed. He came, and he, and he exerted his authority to certainly bring that about. And then, he looked forward. Then he taught about the future. He said, so now I want to teach you about the time after my death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. What's it going to be like after I'm gone? And so we have a section where Jesus gives attention to this. And uh, so we just... Um, you had a chance to travel, uh, stayed at a couple of different places along the way. And, you know, for those of us who can remember life before GPS, um, it was a really different experience when you had to plan ahead. You had these printed maps, and, and you know, they weren't updated very frequently, and so you'd get lost. And, and now the GPS is just a wonderful thing. Except there's one place that we stayed. And they had this funny address. It didn't fit the normal pattern of addresses, but okay, this is the address. I put it into uh, the GPS. We were told this was going to be a, a cabin that would be out a remote place overlooking a, a, a fishing pond on a farm and thought, oh, this would be a really cool place to go. So we followed the GPS. It's like, this is an interesting place to go. Led us into a neighborhood, and the third house on the left, that was the one. We thought, this doesn't fit the advertising. Well, that was Apple Maps. Let's try Google Maps. So I switch over to Google Maps, and sure enough, it's the same place. This doesn't seem right. Okay, let's try to figure out directions. And so then classic, old school, we stopped at a gas station and said, can you tell us where to, the, where to go? And they gave us some idea, went back to the, the directions, and they said, you know, for the place that we rented. And they gave some instructions, and finally, oh, these are starting to make sense. And eventually, sure enough, we found this cabin out in the middle of nowhere, nobody else around, and it was a very remote place. The GPS didn't help us. So I say all of that to say, we would like Jesus to give us GPS coordinates when he talks about the future, but he doesn't. And so it's like he gives us directions through mountains without a map, without a GPS, and without an address. So what do you do to give somebody directions when there's no map, no GPS, and no address? You start talking about some landmarks. Right? Be watching for this. You'll see this out your window, and then the road will be like this. right? And this is what Jesus was doing. Uh, one other travel story. Uh, if you remember uh, Jim and Barb Beck, when they moved out uh, to Colorado, 
and continue to follow. Barb passed away a while ago. Thankfully, Jim, who is not doing well, he is stronger now than he was. We're so thankful for that. Well, Tom and I had the chance to make the trip out there, and we got to do some mountain flying. And so this is a picture. I was the pilot, and this is the picture looking out the window. And I had a wonderful time doing this flying. But flying in the mountains is really hard. But the thing I wanted to show you is notice the mountains in the picture. It can be hard to separate them, right? It's, there's a bunch of mountains, and it's hard to tell how far away things. I think prophecy is often like mountains in a picture. It can be really hard to figure out what's near, mid, and far. They, they kind of blend together. Okay, I think I can tell that one's in front of that one, but I can't tell there. And how far apart are they? I don't know. And so this is a big part when people read prophecy, especially a passage like we're looking at today. They spend time trying to figure out, now is that for the distant future or the near future? When does it change? And and we need to work that out. Well, I'd like to suggest that maybe that's not what is most important. Maybe being able to figure out exactly which goes where and how soon and how far isn't the point. And in any case, I can't solve it. (laughs) What we're going to look at today is what Jesus said, and especially pay attention to his commands. He says, here's what's coming, but here's what I want you to do about it. And I think that's what we should pay the most attention to. So we're going to walk through a number of verses today as Jesus taught, just to make a few observations. So Luke 21, verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Let's stop there for a second. Jesus was teaching in the temple. And some of the people who were listening to him teach said, Look at this temple. Isn't it amazing? And it was. It was an amazing place, a gorgeous place. It was was a place that you could see from the mountains around. And and when you walked in, it was dramatic. and, And even more than that, it had great symbolic power. That to them... The temple was a place of power. It was the holiness of God. It was a place of glory. Uh, Just beautiful and dramatic. Our space for worship is very utilitarian. The temple wasn't. When you got near to the temple, just your, your sense was, wow, God is amazing. He's big and he's powerful and he's holy. It was a place of great stability. Built on the top of a mountain that, that Herod the Great had expanded It was a place of national identity. This is what held the people together. And this is a place that was connected with God. The temple was the most important, stable, unifying thing. Uh, People who studied this say that there are some stones that were part of the temple. They may have been like 36 feet by 18 feet by 12 feet. So, I don't know, the, the ceiling here might be 18 feet um, something like that. You know, taking uh, you know, a little bit more than half of the seats here, that might be 12 feet, and, and, and 36 feet takes us past the back row. That's one stone. One stone in this temple would weigh over 500 tons. This was a magnificent place. And Jesus said, not one stone will be left on another. 
this place is going to be destroyed. And they said, but it's such an amazing, overwhelming place. One stone, 500 tons, and you're, going to, you're saying it's going to get destroyed. Jesus said one day it would be demolished. And think not only the physical structure, but what it meant to them. This was a symbol of who they were as a people. This was a symbol of how they connected with God. And Jesus said, one day it's all going to get destroyed. And sure enough, 40 years later, it was. So I had the the privilege to go there a number of years ago, and here I am, standing by some of those stones shattered into pieces. And it's just overwhelming at the size of these things. And, and, And they say that you could hear this crashing from so many miles away, because these giant stones crashing and breaking into pieces as they destroyed the temple. They said, what a temple. And Jesus said, it's going to get destroyed. And just for a second, I ask the question for you. What's an equivalent symbol? What is the symbol that for you says, this is stability, this is the ideal, this is what we aim for. You know, so for... Each country, I expect that there are symbols of power or government or history. Maybe it's the Statue of Liberty, and you say, boy, that really stands for something. Or maybe it's a a family heirloom or tradition or something. But whatever it is that to you speaks most powerfully about the thing that, that gives you confidence, that gives you hope. And Jesus said, someday it'll be gone. Right? People and their endeavors will all come to an end. Jesus said, don't be so impressed with this temple because within a generation, it'll be gone as big and dramatic and powerful as it is. And so then verse seven, they said, teacher, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? And you hear the pre-GPS question. They don't say, what's the address? What's the year? They say, what are the signs along the road that we're getting close? And he replied, Watch out that you're not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. So they say, what are the signs? When's it going to come? And the most important first thing Jesus says is don't be deceived. (laughs) Watch out that you're not deceived. Because he says, you know, lots of people are going to come and make lots of claims. They're going to say, oh, I know what's wrong with the world. I know who's wrong with the world. (laughs) Lots of people said that today. (laughs) And I can fix it, trust me. We don't have many people who come and say, I'm the Messiah. But they do say, I can fix this place if somebody would just let me do it. Right? And Jesus said, don't let anybody deceive you. Jesus said, you know what, a lot of time's going to pass, and there's going to be lots of trouble. Wars and uprisings, all this stuff's got to happen, he said. Don't let anybody deceive you about these things. But then we're going to see in a minute, he says, a lot of time's going to pass, but then the end will come by surprise. So don't just say, oh, we don't have to worry about it. (laughs) It's coming. He says, don't let people deceive you. So then verse 10, he continues, he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences, which a modern paraphrase might say pandemics, um, in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. 
Jesus said there's trouble coming. Lots of trouble and upheaval, right? Battles and and earthquakes and famines. And he says it's going to happen in various places. These, these are global issues, right? They're global troubles and natural disasters, he says. These things are going to come in a big and dramatic way. He says there's something else that you need to know. But also, and now we're to verse 12. But before all this, Jesus said, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. So let's stop there for a second. Jesus says, before all those great disasters, they're going to seize you. They're going to arrest you. They're going to persecute you. Now, one really important part of reading the Bible well is to know that you in the Bible doesn't always mean us. Right? Sometimes it says you, and here's a promise to you, but it might not be a promise to me. And so we have to, to separate this out. And so this is a passage that we try to figure out. Well, who's he talking about? Is he talking to them? Is he talking to me? Is he talking to others? And it's a good question. But here's one thing that's for sure. The book of Acts, which is Luke part 2, describes exactly these things. That, that we're, we're told about how they were, uh, they were seized and persecuted. How people were taken into the control of the synagogues. And after being taken to the synagogues, which was a Jewish control... They were taken to the kings and the governors, which is the Gentile control. And then they did what Jesus said. You will bear testimony about me. You will tell people about me. You're going to be arrested in my name, and so you will tell people about me. And it is a wonderful thing through the book of Acts that trouble was always turned into an opportunity to point to Jesus. Whenever they had trouble... They would point to Jesus. They would say, well, we can trust him. They'd say, we're here because of him. The power you're wondering about, that's from him. If you'll slow down and listen, we'll tell you about Jesus. And this is what, what uh, Paul did in front of kings and governors, is told people about Jesus. So whatever else this means, clearly Jesus was talking about a time that Luke then describes in Acts. And certainly there are times throughout the history of the church that there have been waves of persecution. And we do see also that somebody like Stephen was given words to say that people just said, wow, the Holy Spirit is at work. That, that Peter and John had words that nobody could respond to, nobody could confront. So then verse 16, Jesus goes on, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will live life. So again, stop for a second. He says, this action will even come within the immediacy of family, right? Your parents and brothers and sisters and relatives and friends being those who would betray you. So he says it's not, it's not just about the foreigners, the, the powers like Rome that are above you. and It's your own people who are going to be involved in doing this. 
And he says, they will put some of you to death. He says, everyone will hate you. And this is interesting. He says, some of you will be killed. And it does seem that, that martyrdom does tend to be an unusual thing. Not many people recorded in the New Testament were killed for their faith. At times, a lot of people. But it's, it's some people experience that. But trouble is not unusual. Right? Everyone will hate you. There, there's a disconnect between the ways of God and the ways of the world. But then Jesus says this really puzzling thing. Not a heretic. Well, didn't you just tell me? And I think it's, this is an idiom that says that God knows everything. And that nothing will happen outside of God's knowledge and care. That even those who die are not dying apart from God, apart from his care, apart from his work. Even there, he knows every hair on their head. Nothing will happen outside of his care for us. And all of God's children will be rescued in his kingdom. And, and it's a little bit subtle, but I mean this both ways. All God's children will be rescued in his kingdom. All, all God's children, every one. And all of God's children will be saved. Every part of us, right, is rescued, is under his control, will be redeemed. God says, no part of you, even the hairs on your head, will be outside of my work, of being with you of rescuing you, even if it is through death. And so Jesus says, stand firm. Stand firm. Be confident in God and his plans and his care, even when all this happens. Keep trusting God. The Christian Standard Bible, I really appreciate how they, they state this last phrase, stand firm and you will win life. It says, by faithful endurance, gain your lives. And I like that expression, by faithful endurance. It's a command, keep your life, gain your life. And so then, Jesus continues, verse 21, now looking at another scene as we look into the future. Uh, as Jesus looked into the future, he says in verse 20, When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So stop there for a second. He, he, he looks at this event that, that was going to come soon in the history of Israel and says, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. He says, I want you to know for sure something about this destruction. This is the time of punishment in fulfillment of what's been written. This is why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He looked at it and said, you're going to be destroyed. And I, I, it breaks my heart. But this is God's vengeance against the people who chose not to honor him. Jesus wanted the people to know that Jerusalem was going to get punished by God. And this is where we need to figure out, what does the you mean? Right? Sometimes it's pray for the peace. And here he says, don't pray for the peace. This is a time of judgment. Don't go into the city to try to defend it. Flee from it. 
Because there's no saving this city, he said, from its destruction. And these troubling words that pregnant women and nursing mothers will find a dreadful time. And Josephus, the, the historian, tells us a bit about awful things that happened. And that's true. I also think it has such a powerful symbolic meaning that in that day, to be pregnant, to be nursing, was the greatest blessing. And this is the symbol of the greatest joy becoming the greatest distress. It will be so bad that even the thing that brings such great joy will be a source of distress because the days are so bad. Jesus goes on, verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming in the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Uh, such troubling words about what was going to happen to the sun, the moon, and the stars, whether literal or symbolic, people debate that. But nations will be in anguish and perplexity. People are going to be afraid of what's coming. And Jesus seems to describe this, this way in which the natural world's support of abundant life is eroded. The earth itself is no longer going to be good at sustaining life. The things that were orderly and good are coming apart. Until, he says, that time when they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He says, this is leading up to the day when Jesus will return and be visible and come in victory. And he says, because of that, when you see all these awful things happening, he says, here's what you should do. Stand up and lift up your heads. Everybody else is panicking. <laughs> says, They're so afraid, Jesus says. But he says, if, if you are one of God's people in Christ, when you see these things happening, stand up, lift up your heads, because this means your salvation is coming. Right? When people are panicking, you can be confident in Christ. The world says, oh no, it's all falling apart. And instead of joining in that and saying, I know, isn't it awful? <laughs> we say, well, you know what? This is leading up to the return of our Savior, who will come to make all things right. Stand up, lift up your heads, because your salvation is coming. So then verse 29, Jesus told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus said, you know, when, when you see the leaves coming out, and we just lived through this after a Michigan winter, we say, look, there are buds on the trees. Oh, that is so good. Finally, summer might come, <laughs> right? Jesus said, when you see these, these events, these awful events starting to happen, he says, be excited, because that means this is the beginning of the work that God is doing, to bring the kingdom that the Son of, 
of God is returning because the kingdom of God is near, he said. So you get that. The crumbling of the world means his kingdom is coming closer. So rather than saying, oh no, yet another disaster, he says you ought to say, okay, it's another day closer to the coming of our Savior. Another day closer to the coming of his kingdom. And so then Jesus, just to torment people who try to understand his words, says this generation will certainly not pass away. And we try to figure out what in the world does that mean? And so here's what I'll tell you. Um, it means a lot of stuff. Because <laughs> there are lots of theories. What does this generation mean? And it could mean a race of people. It could mean a kind of people. It could be the people alive then. It could be the people alive later. And I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Jesus said, my words will never pass away. I don't understand them all. But that's okay. Because they're true. And they will never pass away. What is clear is that Jesus' words are more reliable than all creation. Everything else is going to fall to pieces, but not his word. And so here's where, at the deepest level, I trust him, not my understanding of his words. It's his words that are reliable. Now, I want to understand them. But I trust him, even when I don't understand And so then Jesus gives these really important words for us. Verse 34. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Think these very powerful words, these words of warning that Jesus gives. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down. Be careful. Your hearts will be weighed down, he says, by carousing, by this bad kind of of partying and letting loose of self-control that leads to this drunkenness. And he says, it's a terrible way to live. Terrible way to live. And your hearts will be weighed down, and you won't be ready. And then the anxieties of life. Not terrible things, just the, the concerns about life. And he says your hearts will get weighed down just by, by living life. And then that day will come suddenly, he says, like a trap. If you say, well, later on I'll deal with it. He says, it may be too late. When that trap closes, it's done. Jesus warned. He said we can get weighed down by bad things. We can get weighed down by good things. And yet, when the end comes, it's suddenly like a trap. And there's not a time to adjust then. And so Jesus says, again, these powerful words, be always on the watch and pray. He says, choose to give close attention to the kingdom of God. Right? You can get distracted by other things, but pay, keep paying attention to the kingdom of God. Always be on the watch. And he said, pray. And then this funny thing, he says, pray that you will be able to escape. Now, escape is what they could do from Jerusalem when it was falling. Right? He said, if you're in the city, leave the city. Don't go back in. Escape this trouble. But we're told the end of, of the days, there's not a, a direct escape from this. Except it's to escape from their power. It is to stand. Right? To, to escape 
is to stand firm in Christ until the end and not be ashamed. Just be careful, he says, or your hearts will be weighed down. Be on the watch and pray. And so then we, we end with this description from Luke about how Jesus kept teaching this. Verse 37, each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Jesus was teaching, and he continued to teach. This, this ongoing teaching about the end of human endeavors and kingdoms. And, and I think this was this is probably what he taught day after day, warning people, what you see here, this temple, it's going away. Human activity, human uh, endeavors and concerns, they're going away. Some through judgment, some just through wearing out. Don't hang on to them. Be watching for the return of the Son of Man. He says, be watching for the coming of the kingdom of God. Looking at this passage, of course, there's so many questions about how does all the prophecy fit and what applies to when. And a lot of questions, a lot that is clear. But what is clear is that Jesus taught that his kingdom will one day replace every human endeavor and kingdom. One day his kingdom is going to displace the other kingdoms. The other things that people try to set up on their own. And all people are called to enter into it and live according to this new kingdom before it's too late. And he does give this warning. It's going to come and surprise people. We are to prepare to enter into this kingdom to live according to it. So, we've seen this before. We look at the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Perhaps this also means may my kingdom end and our kingdoms end. John the Baptist said, I have to get less and he has to become more. And so praying that his kingdom would come is saying, would you replace our failed efforts at kingdoms? <laughs> would you replace the, the, the rebellion against you with your kingdom? And I think it also means may my will end and our will be replaced. Right? Mine is broken. Mine is fallen. My agenda is not what the world ought to follow. It's a mess. Would you replace that with yours? So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so your glorious and wonderful kingdom can fill all creation. That's what we pray when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reality is, it's going to happen anyway. <laughs> so we might as well join in pursuing it. right? But it's a glorious one. It is so good. His kingdom will one day replace all other kingdoms. And what could be better than that? Okay, so, uh, analog clocks. Um, reading an analog watch or a clock. So, why are there three hands? That's confusing. Tell me, what was that? Seconds, minutes, Seconds, minutes, and hours. Yeah. So, we've got these, these different hands. And so, what do you have to do to read the clock? I do so. Yeah. Like, how what Excellent. We've got to know what a hand means what, and, and they have different purposes, right? And so you've got the hour hand, the minute hand, the second hand. The hour hand changes very slowly. You ever sit in place and you wonder, how much longer could this go? Watching the hour hand is not a very good idea at those times, because there's no progress. Right? The second hand changes very quickly. Well, I think there's a way that this can help us understand how we look at time and God's kingdom. Sometimes we're driven 
So one of the things I found this statement that was so helpful is, is this. Um, one more time, we're going to get there. I want you to be able to see it. Here we go. So often, chaos is not a sign of the end, but a sign of human fallenness throughout the ages. Right? We think, oh no, and everybody thinks, now look at how awful the world is. That means it's ending today. And in reality, what it means is the world is still broken. Whether or not it means it's ending today, I'm not sure. But this is why every generation says, maybe we're the last generation, because look at what's happening. It's because every generation has a fresh expression of the chaos of humanity. But if we live our lives following the second hand of the clock, the troubles come and go over and over again, and we may panic over and over again. It's like saying when the second hand reaches the top, maybe the world will fall apart. And we watch it go to the top, and oh, it's going to fall apart, and we survive that. Oh, it's coming up to the top, right? And we do this cycle after cycle. We do this in news cycles. We do this in family relationships. We panic because yet another time it looks like that second hand is going to hit the end. Sometimes we spend our time looking at the minute hand of the clock. Right? We went and watched the minute hand. Very often I think this is where we may be weighed down with the anxieties of life. We're not panicked like it's going to end, but we say, I just have to be more productive. i just got to get more done. i got to go more connections. I'm just going to get more done. I'm going to do more things. And Jesus said, Jesus said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And those are both two different things, and often they're deeply connected. That the anxieties of life often lead us to bad choices about drunkenness or other things, to, to deaden it. But our concern for both good and bad things can get uh, in the way, just by can't advance at the moment. Do you need that? It's all right. Um, so just like the second hand, so also the minute hand, where human endeavors and concerns they come and go over and over again, and we think, oh no, this, you know, this four-year cycle of elections, this is the one that's going to fall apart, and then we live through that, and then another one. Uh, yeah, we we visited a Civil War battlefield when we were in Oklahoma, and actually it was really good for me to say there have been bad times in the past in the United States, horrible times, and life continued, and I don't know when things are going to fall apart and be done, I don't know, but it's good to say, you know what, that minute hand gets to the top, and so often it goes around again, and so life goes on with different kinds of troubles, and, and yet Jesus said we may get weighed down over and over again by watching that minute hand. And so then, some of us spend our time watching the hour hand. And that hour hand moves really slowly. We watch the hour hand. Sometimes we just get lulled into sleep. So, you know, I'm not sure that Jesus is ever really going to come back in any meaningful time. So we don't need to think about that. And Jesus said, be always on the watch and pray. Because like the hour hand, the coming of the kingdom of God may seem so slow that we stop watching and say, I just have to get on to my other things in life because I don't know that that will ever come. Right, so how do you read an analog watch or a clock? And you've got to pay attention to all three hands and trust God. Right, we can live well if we pay attention to the repeated crises. And we do need to do that. So be transparent, wrestling with these things today. Didn't get enough sleep last night. That matters. 
right? It matters. But it's also one of these crises that tends to repeat itself. And so don't panic today. Deal with it, right? Do the right thing. But you have to pay attention to these repeated crises because the second hand keeps going around. We have to pay attention to the story of God in our lives, to the story of trouble, and, and to say, you know what, someday my life will end. And we have to pay attention to that. And we do need to pay attention to the decay and the trouble in the world, and that's like the hour hand that has to keep, it keeps going around. And sometimes, kingdoms end. Sometimes, a place like Jerusalem was destroyed. To live well, we need to know that every passing second, minute, hour, we're actually getting closer to the return of Jesus Christ and the appearing of his kingdom. And just like when you read an analog clock, to get it right, you have to pay attention to all three hands. But the hour hand has to rule. And then the minute hand gives you adjustment to that. And the second hand gives you adjustment to that. And when we panic, we forget about anything but the second hand. <laughs> what we do need to do is pay attention to it. But pay attention to that and God's work in our lives and to God's work in the world. So, uh, anybody know what, what this is from? This is the Doomsday Clock. The Doomsday Clock was started in the 40s when there was fear of nuclear annihilation, of, of a, a, a bomb, nuclear bomb going off and everybody being destroyed. So what they claim is this is an indicator of the world's vulnerability to catastrophe. And every year they update it. And they say, given here's what the experts say, and how likely is it that this year humanity will destroy itself? And uh, as you see here, the beginning of 2022, they updated this clock and said we're at 100 seconds to midnight. Right? So if, if, if midnight at the start of the day means we've got all the future of the world in front of us, they say we're down to less than two minutes. We're, we're hovering at this place where we can destroy ourselves at any time. A little bit better than it has been some days in the past, but this is what they say. The world is in a hard place. Some of the, the political commentators I, I listen to or read, they talk about how the last six years might look pretty tame in the United States compared to the coming six years. And my heart goes, oh no, what are we going to do, right? It's great trouble. And sometimes people look at the church in the West and they say, given where it is, oh no. And we update our doomsday clock. We say, we are so close. So Peter says this from what Esther read this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. As Christians, we're awaiting not our doom, but our greatest joy. And Jesus said, when you see trouble coming, know that your greatest joy is getting closer. Now, I want to clarify something. I'm really convinced there's some things that Jesus wasn't saying that might feel like he's saying. Jesus was not saying that justice and mercy in this world don't matter. Like saying that you know, the old expression, the Titanic is going to hit the iceberg and sink. So don't worry about trying to do anything good on it. 
it's going down. Just abandon it. And Jesus didn't teach that. He says it's still good and right to pursue justice and mercy in the world, even though it's going to come to an end in trouble. Jesus was not saying that life and nature don't matter and say it's all going away, so forget about it. He didn't teach that. He said, no, value it. He didn't say that wisely handling crises doesn't matter. He says, be wise. Handle the crisis. Pay attention to that second hand. But here's what he was saying. We are to follow his will and his ways in this age. right? So we reach forward to his kingdom and say, no, how do we do that here? How do we show justice and mercy here? Because that's what his kingdom is about. right? How do we promote life here? Because that's what his kingdom is about. And we do this while we await, with hope and anticipation, the full expression of his kingdom when Jesus returns. And so when you think about how somebody with the hope of the return of Jesus Christ ought to behave in the world today, I would say this. Those who have this hope ought to have the greatest commitment and strength to care for what is entrusted to us now. If this is what he's given us now, we'll use it the best we know how, with his strength, with his wisdom, because that's what he's given us now. As we wait for what he's bringing, and that's what it is to be ready for his return. Because Jesus said one day his kingdom will replace every human endeavor and every human kingdom. And all people are called to enter it and live according to it before it's too late. We know human endeavors and human kingdoms come and go. I was thinking about it this week. Some of us remember when the only way to communicate via technology was with AOL. And you had to log in with a modem. How could the world live without AOL? How could the world live without the Alta Vista search engine? <laughs> right? And now who even knows these things? And so today we say, how could the world live without Google? Oh, for the day. Oh, for the day. But how could we live without it? It seems so much like it could never change. But it will. It's going to be replaced by something else. Because human kingdoms and human endeavors always go away. Sometimes they're like the stones of the temple that seem so rock solid, nobody could imagine the temple getting flattened. Nobody could imagine that. Sometimes it's because they're like shadows that disappear in a moment. Whether things seem stable or not, they're all going away to be replaced by the kingdom of God. His kingdom will definitely come. And Jesus said it will come suddenly and completely and gloriously forever. So he says, get ready. Application is very simple in the sense that it's just directly from Jesus' words. First of all, he said, be careful. Be careful. Or your hearts will get weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And we know that many things can choke our spiritual lives. Many things can steal our peace in God, our joy in God, the hope we have in God. So many things can do this. Some of the things are bad things. Right? There are bad things that can dull our hearts and our minds. Pursuing pleasure in wrong ways and, and pursuing vengeance because it seems like this will bring us such satisfaction. And all these things that we do, they're bad things for us to do, like drunkenness. But it's also true that there are good things that can dull our hearts and our minds. There are good things like family and career, financial security and seeking justice. And these are good things. And yet... Jesus said, be careful, because your heart could get weighed down by those things. And so it's important for us to ask, when Jesus says, be careful, 
to ask ourselves, what keeps us from really listening to God's Word? Are there things in your life that just make it hard for you to slow down and say, I want to know what God has to say, and I want to really hear it? These are things that weigh us down. What keeps us from loving God more than anything else? Even good things, this weighs us down. What keeps us from loving the people around us as ourselves? What keeps us from seeking first his kingdom? Jesus said, be careful, or your hearts will get weighed down with some awful things that are harmful and with other things that on their own they're good, but not when they weigh your heart. So he said, be careful. Jesus said, be always on the watch and pray that you may stand before the Son of Man. Be always on the watch and pray. A uh, little bit further into First Peter, where uh, Esther had read, he says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. Jesus said, set your hope on what he's bringing. Set your hope there. Anticipate that. Always be watching, saying, oh, that thing I long for, it's coming. I long for full and final peace of health and wholeness and community. I long for that. He says, be watching for that. Be watching for the indication that this is what, what God is doing. He says, set your hope on the full and final justice that Jesus will bring. Set your hope on the full transformation that Jesus will bring. Set your hope on what he will bring as you pursue his will and his ways until then. Jesus says, be always on your watch and pray. And I think we should be on our watch by prayer and for prayer. Right? One of the things that, uh, that I think is a powerful indicator of what we think about how much we can do and how much God can do is how much we pray. Jesus said, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Do we pray? Do we long for this? Jesus said, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to stand. Jesus said, don't be frightened. Stand firm. Lift up your heads. And we just need to be reminded that our King and our Savior will come in total victory. Uh, to read from Revelation 21. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost. From the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. It is finished. It is done, Jesus said. When we see these things happen, Jesus says, don't be frightened. Stand firm. Lift up your heads. We should wait with confidence for the one who is victorious. Jesus Christ is king both now and forever. And the wonderful thing is, every day that passes is a day closer to enjoying the love of God forever. Don't be frightened, Jesus said. When there's trouble coming, lift up your heads and say, my Savior reigns. And he's coming to reign on earth. And I'm confident in what he will do. Because he is good. Jesus said to be ready. And this is a real warning. Because he says the end will come springing suddenly like a trap. It's not going to come and say, oh, excuse me, you probably ought to get ready. because you know, and, and that warning's already coming. He says when it comes, it will spring like a trap. And if you're not ready, you will miss it. So what do we do? I love this image. One of, another one of my favorite. I love simple things. I love this interaction between the criminal on a cross hanging next to Jesus as they're both dying. 
the criminal hanging on a cross next to Jesus said, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But Jesus has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I love that expression. Jesus, you're entering your kingdom. <laughs> when you do that, would you just think of me? Would you make sure I could be a part of it? And Jesus said, of course. Right? And the prayer is this, Jesus, I deserve punishment, not life. But since you died for me, please remember me in your kingdom. And he will. The victorious king of all kings. Jesus' kingdom will one day replace every human endeavor and kingdom. And we are all called to enter it. Live according to it before it's too late. So as the clock ticks, pay attention to God's word and God's spirit and God's work. Romans 13 says, The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So I encourage you, maybe you want to change your, your, your cell phone or your watch, if you can do that, to an analog clock for a little bit. And just as you watch the second hand going around and watch the minute the hour hand, just say, where's God's work in this? We're going to take a minute to pray because Jesus said to do this. And so um, it's just going to create some space. I'm going to read again these words uh, and then just give a space for us to do what Jesus said, to be watching and to pray. And as you pray, consider what weighs your heart down from trusting God. What distracts you from hoping in God? And then pray that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Pray, because of your sacrifice, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. So listen to these words of Jesus. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. I invite you in silence to pray. Undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us and will be brought to us at the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so we say, Jesus, please come. Please remember us in your kingdom and welcome us as loved children of our Heavenly Father because of your death and your resurrection and your authority over all that is. In your name and your power we pray. Amen.